Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week is I Held Her In My Arms. I kind of lied to the people up there, too. What, how, how did you lie to the people? Well, I mean, this is an Alkaline Trio song, technically. Technically. But uh, it's a violent femme song. But it's a violent femme song. Hey, welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. We are here to discuss a song that was released by the Alkaline Trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Tim Crisp. I'm the host of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. I'm here with... Uh, Dog sitter extraordinaire David Anthony. I do such a good job. If you need a dog sitter in the Chicagoland area, I am available. I was out of town. David was kind enough to come over and and spend ten days over here with with our associate producer Chloe. And yeah, I, I went out. I saw the green pastures mm-hmm. of Ireland and went to Amsterdam. It's a place I don't know if you know about this Amsterdam. They got uh, great non-alcoholic beers. Oh, really? So really? much non-alcoholic beer in Amsterdam. I had a non-alcoholic IPA. Really? And a non-alcoholic milk stout. Jeez. And, yeah. I've so. only ever had uh, one non-alcoholic beer in my life. Oduls. Oduls. It was at a uh, Detroit Pistons game. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was very expensive. <laughs> And I regretted that decision almost immediately. And then Ron Artest ran into the crowd and beat the shit. Oh, I fucking wish. That, oh man. Yeah. One of, the great, one of the greatest things that's ever happened in organized sports, oh, yeah. in my opinion. This was also when a friend of mine was working for the Pistons. So we uh-huh. like had really good seats. It was Pistons Cavs. And like, so like LeBron was playing and yeah. he like totally like it biffed a dunk real hard and the ball like bounced out of bounds like halfway across the court and then afterwards we were like hanging out in like the like club level of yeah. uh the pistons thing and i was like i understand why people like do this like this is oh, yeah. great it's it's a wild thing to be um, a part of but speaking of wild things to be a part of we should uh we should give a little psa up top yeah tim <laughs> let's do that so listen we we like to save this uh portion of of the program for the end of each episode, but we just wanted to throw this one at the top for this one, just to say that if you're enjoying this show, uh, please uh, rate it, write a review for it. Um, if you're enjoying it, we've been getting a little bit of flack lately. Yeah, yeah. From people out there who don't really care for our opinions, which is fine. Yeah, like, no, that's fine. I... I welcome you DMing me on Twitter or Instagram. People have been doing that a lot for some reason. Um, your hate. That's fine. I will I'm happy to engage. I'm happy to be critical. The the purpose of this is being critical and right. you know, even when you're positive, you can be positively critical. Right. And, and that's we, what we're doing here. And I think that's what we, we try to always frame it in that light when we talk about things that we don't necessarily like. It's like listen, we're you know, not trying to make our names on shit talking or anything like that. But the thing about this sort of thing is that negativity can kind of influence people to go out and say something a lot more than positive than positive feelings yes. can this comes from the perspective of someone who's worked in the service industry for a mm-hmm. long time too mm-hmm. you get you get 
50 negative Yelp reviews for every good Yelp review. I mean, it's the same thing with what I do where like I write an article and it's rarely the people getting in my mentions being like, oh, this was great. I really agree. Yeah. It's generally the people being like, you're a fucking idiot and I hope you die in a fire. Like it's more that almost always. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I think that's fine. I don't, if you want to say that to me, you can, um, feel free. That's at DB Anthony. Go right ahead. Um, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you if you uh, would so desire about Alkaline Trio. But yeah, uh, we're doing this because, you know, we love this band. We love it in all its weird flaws. And uh, that's why we're here. And we hope you're here for a similar reason. So if you enjoy it, go over to iTunes, give us five stars. It does help us out um, because we would like to think we are doing something that people like. And even if people don't like it, at least it's maybe good. I mean, if you're compelling someone to get that mad about it, you got to be doing something sort of right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if if you've been enjoying the show, that's a that's a thing that you can do to help us and to help people who might be interested in finding the show mm-hmm. see it and not look at it and be like, oh wow, well this is you know it seems have... terrible. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, on with the show, my friend. Uh, this is the first cover song we're talking about. It is the first cover song. And, you know, this is one of those covers that when I, I liken this cover to like when you go to see a band and and you're in the audience and, and they're like, all right, we're going to play a cover. And you're just like, oh, man, like, what could it be? I hope it's a song that I really like, too. And then they play something and you just look around and. Aside from, like, one guy who's really, really stoked, nobody knows what the hell is going on. I, fittingly, have been that guy at an Alkaline Trio show when they covered uh, a song, which we will talk about later, uh, Two Lips, Two Longs, One Tongue, By No Means No. Of course uh, around, were. Around the This Addiction Tour. And it's very funny because, like, I love No Means No a lot. I think they're a great band. And I love that they did that cover because it's such a weird song. It's such a weird band. And I remember they played it, and they dedicated it to Brendan Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is a huge No Means No fan to the point where the one time I saw No Means No, I saw Brendan go into the pit uh-huh. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, all right. All right. Um, and they dedicated to Brendan and they play the song and I'm like the one guy in the crowd going ham. And then afterwards people are like, what was that song? And someone's like, I think it was a Lawrence Arms song. Uh-huh. And I was just like, yep, that seems about right. Well, but that's not a, that's not a bad guess to make that it could be. Yeah. Um, But I've also seen Alkaline Trio play this song that we're talking about today live Uh because I saw them on the tour for Damnesia. How was that tour? Interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, largely them just playing a set and then they would bring out an acoustic guitar and they would do this and Dan would do like his like acoustic song from this record, which Uh I think is a good song. It was a great song. Um, Rooftop, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember a rooftop or whatever. Uh And then... I think they would maybe do like clavicle also with an acoustic guitar, but uh-huh. like as we'll talk about when we talk about some of the Damnesia tracks, like it's really not that different. It just happens to have an acoustic guitar right, on it. Right. Um, so it was it was largely fine. I will say when they played this, like they were having a great time. Like Matt's jumping around the stage and having more fun than he was playing any of his songs, seemingly. So. Which is nice to see. I think it's something that you know, especially when you get kind of down the line with. Uh, with an artist in their career, you sort of forget the fact that they are yeah. just like you. They loved 
music too and yes. Skiba was i'm sure in high school and this is one of his favorite bands from that time oh totally and i mean especially like him growing up in like the suburbs of chicago this band being from milwaukee and kind of having a presence as he's discovering music and kind of being a weirdo like i would call them maybe indie like quasi original folk punk like right you know they they occupied a weird space the violent femmes and like especially the subject matter that Gordon Gano was singing about, like, I can see that very much appealing to a young Matt Skiba. He's a weird guy. Yes. Um, And the Violent Femmes are a band that they sort of occupy this space that I think we're all kind of familiar with, where you know that they're important Mm -hmm. and you just never get there. Yeah. I mean, I was, de- that's definitely true for me because I've tried. Yeah, me too. Um, and I know a couple people who are like in our age bracket mm-hmm. uh, in, in this demo who do like them, who, or at the very least, do like that first record a lot. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense to me. Like, I think the first two songs on that first Violent Femmes record, Blister in the Sun, which like everyone knows. Right. And then Kiss Off, I think are great songs. I picture that riff playing underneath every single Violent Femme song that I hear. Yeah, it's just somewhere basically. in there. <laughs> basically. It is funny how on that record is also the, the Gone Daddy Gone song, which then like the, who is it, uh, that got covered and became a hit many, many years later. Oh, by, for I GoDaddy.com. Yes, yes. By uh, good old Gnarls Barkley. But they're one of those, they're one of those bands, right? There where it's just like, okay, like I know that this band's important. And when I listen to them, I always understand mm-hmm. their importance and where they sit. And you can kind of see the track of influence that they have into a band like AJJ or even something like the mountain goats where it's sure, all like sure. weird. And it's totally like kind of of its own, but it's almost like, I think about it in terms of like if I was 15 and I heard this band because someone who was cooler than me and older than me was like, yo, here, check this out, burn me a CD. If I heard it then, I would think that it's the greatest thing. And now I'm, you know, twice that age and I'm always just like, this is, you know, I get it. It's just not clicking for me. Yeah. And I, I there's plenty of bands that I feel that way about that are like important and I understand and I get why people love them, but I just came to them when I had yeah. seen too much. So you know? I went I went back into it this time around, I guess kind of with as much intention as I've ever had with the Violent Femmes where I'm thinking about it in terms of this podcast and thinking like Yeah. Oh well you know six months ago I got into the B fifty twos for the first time in my life. Like maybe it'll happen yeah, here. Sure. It's still the same for me. It's just like, I get it. All right, cool. You, you guys are weird and you're great, but uh, I Held Her In My Arms is the eighth song on their third record, The Blind Leading the Naked, uh, which of the records that I listen to, I kind of like the best. I love the way it sounds. It was produced by Jerry Harrison, mm-hmm. who was in The Modern Lovers and then more notably in The Talking Heads. Yeah. Um, the record sounds amazing and doesn't really yeah i i'm kind of shocked by how for like a a pop album of that time it doesn't sound as like dated as i would expect it to it's got like a real like american music root to it and i kind of liken it to like a please to meet me where it's like that makes sense all sorts of like different sounds are kind of coming on top of 
this band that's like clearly you know you know where they come from and you kind of see where where they're leaning into it and then they just take in all of these great sounds yeah so the original uh i held her in my arms that line that lead line is like led by saxophone there's yeah. all types of like real nice like analog organ on top of mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. great sounding stuff um and it retains the kind of weirdness of gordon gano's vocal delivery which yeah. i really like you know like this was kind of a hit for them um arguably one of the last big ones they had at the time oh. on that note i this was all like new to me uh-huh blister in the sun first song on their first record yeah 1983 yes that record went platinum mm-hmm. in 1991. Yeah. Six months after it went platinum, it entered the top 200 for the first time. It's interesting to look at records from that time because, yeah, the slow burn of, of how a single would hit was is really fascinating. Yeah. You know, I always talk about how if you look, music was a lot slower then. You know, someone would release a record and you'd hear it on the radio for two years. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the case anymore. Granted, like on like modern rock radio, we're only hearing songs from 25 years ago. So right. that's whatever. And if you're hearing, if you're listening to modern rock radio, you're probably hearing a lot of Jerry Harrison productions. Because if you look at yeah. his catalog in the mid 90s, he produced like that song, The Freshman by The mm-hmm. Verb Hype. Mm-hmm. And like every record by that band live. Yeah. Which is fucking wild. It is consider. really wild. But yeah, like, I mean, I always talk about the Gin Blossoms, how like, you know, New Miserable Experience came out in 92 or 93. Yeah. And those singles didn't hit until like end of 94, start of 95. And that dude was dead. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, it is really interesting where like it could be slow and that slow build, you know, was that's why so many. I'm reading a, a, a book by Scott Ian of Anthrax right yeah. now because I love Anthrax. It's just about beard maintenance. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, that's what I aspire to, uh-huh. to be honest. But he's talking about, he's like, yeah, like when we signed to Island, it was like a five or seven album deal because they wanted to build you up over the, that's what it would take to make you a big thing at the time. Right. And now those contracts look very predatory because that's not how the music industry works. Mm-hmm. But back then, like, you know, a label would want five records because that's from album one to album five is when they think they're going to have a superstar. It's crazy. And that's kind of what you see them trying to shoot for with the Violent Femmes is that first record. Like, it's just it's the one people um, know. Yeah. But I don't know if it's the one that sold as much at the time or got as much play in the moment yeah yeah it definitely it like it took four years to go gold four years to go platinum and it's funny i think too because when you when i think of that song i always lump that in with like beck's i'm a loser which comes out in like 94 and it it feels like such an early 90s like weirdo like alternative radio track yeah but it's not. It's not. It's from '83, and it's it's you know it's kind of the beginning of of this band that just kind of pops up out of nowhere, uh, makes some weird records, and does you know stuff that's like really unique and heavily influential, and like obviously it clearly has a lasting impact on you know anybody that's growing up in that time. Yeah. Case in point, Matt Skiba. Absolutely. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean. Let's let's uh, we've talked we've told given the background on the violent films and the song. Let's talk about the Alkaline Trio version. Right, tenth track on Damnesia, collection of acoustic versions of of the old hits, couple new songs. Mm-hmm. Um, what year did this come out? 
Damnesia was 2011. That's what I thought. Um, it's kind of hard not to be a little, a little cynical of the concept of this record, especially having it come right after this addiction, which had the stated intent of returning back to form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say I think even among fans, generally Damnesia is not looked upon super fondly. But when it was announced before I heard it, I'll admit I was excited about it because I've always thought they've done a good job of doing songs differently. Yeah. There are other covers that we'll talk about, some of the Misfits ones that I think are great, uh, just like truly incredible. I love their TSOL cover. I love the No Means No cover. Like they have a history of doing that. And I thought they could reinterpret some of those songs, especially with Matt playing piano and these really stripped down kind of weirdo versions. And there are there is some of that on there, but a lot of it is like I was saying, but like a clavicle where it's just kind of the song with an acoustic guitar and more right. of a gate on the snare. I just feel like it's one of those things where like I, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it on on a streaming platform, but if I bought this, I would be kind of like, ah, I feel like I just gave you money for nothing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Um, but I mean, I do think there is good stuff on here. And I, I would say that, you know, this is one of the good things yeah, on this absolutely. record. There's a lot of life in this track. I, I think, you know, th- though I like the original, it, it, it kind of, because of the way Gordon Gano delivers the vocals it has a very like interesting linear approach where everything kind of flows into one another and i think with skiba's approach you feel more of a dynamic shift between the parts in the production right and there's you know the guff that skiba has or sorry the gruff yes that skiba has uh on his vocals like punctuate a lot more Gano, you know, we all kind of associate his voice with like that blister in the sun, like weirdo thing. But on on that track, on the recording of that track, it's very, very sweet and like mm-hmm. melancholy. This one, it's like, man, Skiba's just like, I feel like he's just salivating at the opportunity to sing this song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of life that is in his vocal performance on this isn't is really startling to me and something i forgot about like when i listened to it again right i was like whoa like he's like really going for it and you can hear how much fun he's having delivering these lines which i think is you know really really great and i like that what they do with it too is that they do like a punk goes acoustic version of it where you take that saxophone line and you just do it with an electric guitar, and the drums have yeah. a little bit of life to it. Like both the acoustic guitar tracks are, you know, like strum pretty vigorously. Like there's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's stripped down and it's acoustic, but it's got a lot of momentum to it. It's got a lot of life to it, and it is like, you know, when we think about people recording covers, there's always sort of the hidden, you know, question of like, all right, well do we need this? Is yeah. this purposeful? And in this case, I think, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's always the way people talk about covers, which is like you either stay faithful or you do something very different. Uh-huh. And I, I don't think one approach is inherently better than the other. I would say this one is pretty faithful with some like, you know, more modern accoutrement. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so much so that in the bridge, like I've always wanted to hear like a slide whistle. It's like go all out because this song is kind. It kind of has a goofy like jaunt to it. Like give into that. 
You yeah. know, like when you're saying like recently getting into B-52s, it has almost a B-52s. Like throw everything in the kitchen sink at this and do a little whoop <laughs> just like in the bridge and make this like a really fun celebratory thing because that's what Alkaline Trio really makes it. And I, I think this is, you know, the type of cover I like to see a band play because, yeah, it's like even if you don't know the song and they're playing it live, there's such a joy to it that it kind of doesn't matter right. almost, Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's seeing seeing people who are having fun and enjoying themselves, and like, yeah, honestly, it's like got that that sense of life to it, where it's like it's kind of like when you when you first start a band and and you play a cover like okay, and you're yeah. all just really stoked about being able to like get through the song, like it's really got yeah. that like vigor to it. I listen to this, and you know, we've kind of been talking about this the last few times we've gotten into this era of the band where it's just like, I would have loved, I would have loved this record. Mm -hmm. I would have loved them to just take, you know, the songs that they're clearly good at writing and just do them in this form. Like totally make totally warning. That's what I want here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am an ardent warning defender. Straight up. Like of the green day records. Like I really like at this point in my life, like I think Nimrod is great because I love when they get a little softer and do their like REM takes. Mm-hmm. And I love warning when they go full power pop. And I think that's the thing is like, there's flashes of that on this addiction. I think, you know, there are songs like lead poisoning where they're like trying to do almost this with like throwing some trumpet on it and yada, yada, yada. I think if they just were able to soften the approach and allow themselves to like not be so straight faced all the time, you really get some interesting material. Right. You know, I mean, they're not, and we've kind of talked about this too. Like one of the cruxes of, of this band is that they're, they have such a hard time, like getting away from the original formula of just like not thinking about it too much. Yeah. And seriously, just a straight up like sonic change is enough to mask the fact that like structurally these songs aren't very different. Totally. And I think it, if Damnesia was a covers album, yeah, like just a straight covers album where they're doing like, all these different reinterpretations of songs they love, I think that would have helped put them on the right path. And it, it's why I think a lot of the material on Damnesia, though I think people do shit on this record, myself included, like there is some stuff that's like really fun and just really like, wow, like these are good songs at their core and they're allowing themselves to bring in other influences and bring in other production choices that they wouldn't feel comfortable with on an Alkaline Trio record. And I hope that when they make a new record, they're going to allow themselves a space to not be as rigid with what the definition of Alkaline Trio needs to be. Yeah, it's uh, kind of exciting to hear that presented as a when they're going to make a new record. Hey, the lyrics to this song have not aged very well. No, no. It's um, it's weird listening to, I don't know what he's trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, knowing that Gordon Gano was raised in like a Baptist household. And I can't really parse whether or not he still is devoutly Baptist or not, because his Wikipedia entry just it's either him or his dad's that's a devout Baptist. But I like the idea, like, he's clearly trying to reframe um, and, and be a little subversive in terms of like, you know, throwing this idea of like, I was with a girl, felt like I was with a boy, like kind of gender confusion, sexual identity stuff in there. Yeah. But it, it's very much like, I don't know what that 
actually means. Right. Um, and I will say, before we get too deep into it, I've always loved when Skiba brings that in, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, Queen of Pain is a great example. Right. And I love when he allows himself to get into those spaces. And I, th- I think the choice to do this song was deliberate. Yeah. For that purpose, you think? Because, yeah, I think it's it's just like, I don't know, it's one of those. And obviously, it, it, it's one of those situations where it's like any, at this point, like anytime you watch a movie that was made before like 10 years ago, you're always just like, oh, fuck, like that's not good. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and so I'm not, I guess I'm not trying to suggest that there's like something like really like fucked up going on here. It's just like, you know, the, the lines about like, the the gender in in all of this song it's just like it's like i don't really know like what what what's going on here there's like a, a certain sense of discomfort that's like happening mm-hmm. in all of it it's punctuated very i guess in that that really weird like to be a man like uh backing vocal track that's just super low yeah be a man. yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where like there's not a lot of information about what this song was about or what the direction of it was right and i think that's what makes it interesting is it's kind of like to a certain degree with songs of that era you know if you were trying to write a pop hit you couldn't go full bore into that type of subject matter so you do have to dance around it and make people like where where to someone who is very uh confused about their gender like can maybe see something in it and to people who are you know, very macho and maybe not into that, uh-huh. they can be like, yeah, he's talking about how it's dumb. <laughs> you know, so like it, it, it is kind of like this, like just like cute, this prism, whatever prism you are looking through it at, right. that's yeah, what the yeah, truth yeah. is. Yeah, and I think, sure. I think there's, uh, while it's, you know, maybe a little dicey, I think there's a real, you know, weight to that type of material. Yeah, definitely. I think that like, you know, it's, it's maybe that sort of, uh, air to it that you know kind of really does mark the violent femmes as being a like a really unique band just like in their entire pathos is just mm-hmm. like it's very different it's very out there this is uh this is a track that i enjoy um you know i enjoy it in both forms yes and it's uh not enough for me to sway on my my opinion that the violent femmes are a band that i'm just like all right cool yeah see what you're doing there fine by me <laughs> they're, they're a band where i need the greatest hits record yeah and that's about it yeah and i'll probably make it through about half of it <laughs> yes, just be like, yeah. all right i need, I need the greatest hits ep <laughs> uh curated solely by me yeah. um so with that in mind what do you rate the song what do you rate the original what do you rate the cover i give uh i give the original a 3.5 out of five and i give the cover a three out of five. I flip those. I give the original a three. I give the cover a three and a half. Damn. They're both good. Top five Top five covers that are better than the original. Go. Uh, I need to think about that Respect more. Respect by Aretha Franklin is better than the Otis Redding version, even though the Otis Redding version fucking slays. Hey, if you like what we're doing Bruce here. Springsteen's Trapped is better than Jimmy Cliff's. <laughs> I could get behind that. Um, hey... As we mentioned at the top of the show, you like what we're doing here, uh, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, rate it, write a review, say, hey, they're doing a good job. It's all right if I don't agree with them all the time. 
And let me tell you, if you don't, if you don't like my opinions, I hope you don't like them so much that you just have to listen to every episode just because you can. You get so mad every mm-hmm. time. You and I hope you just send me messages at DB Anthony. Just really lay it on thick. I have thick skin. It's fine. If you hate me, you can hate me. If you hate Tim, you can also just tell me. Yeah, I tell don't care. Because I can't. I can't handle that stuff. I, I, I'm such a. I'm such a. Such a sensitive boy. Send the hate my way. Yeah. When um, we can talk about it, if you want to DM me, let's have a conversation. I'm open to it. But Just start hey, it nicely. N- like no matter what is, is bringing you here, we really do appreciate that you're that you're taking part in the conversation. And you know, we do this because we enjoy spending time together. We like talking about this band, and we uh, we enjoy the excuse to hang out with each other once a week or once every few weeks yes. we've got a lot of stuff yes. going on and we just got to marathon a few of these sometimes we're busy yeah <laughs> but uh we'll be back next week and uh, we'll see you there thanks